And as we look at Esther today in the first chapter, I want to talk to us uh, and talk to you a little bit about learning from bad decisions. And you can see that from the title, we could all get something from this because we've all made good decisions and we've all made bad decisions. And so we want to look a little bit at what it says in Esther today. If you look at chapter 1, verse 1, and stand with me as we read God's Word. <clears throat> now it came to pass in the days of Ahasuerus, this was Ahasuerus who reigned over 127 provinces from India to Ethiopia. In those days when King Ahasuerus sat on the throne of his kingdom, which is in Shushan, the citadel, that in the third year of his reign he made a feast for all his officials and servants, the, the powers of Persia and Media, the nobles and the princes of the provinces being before him. When he showed the riches of his glorious kingdom and the splendor of his excellent majesty for many days, 180 days in all. When these days were completed, the king made a feast lasting seven days for all the people who were present in Shushan the citadel, from great to small, in the court of the garden of the king's palace. There were white and blue linen curtains fastened with cords of fine linen and purple on silver cords and marble pillars, and the couches were gold and silver of a mosaic pavement of alabaster, turquoise, and white and black marble. And they served drinks in golden vessels, each vessel being different from the other, with royal wine in abundance, according to the generosity of the king. In accordance with the law, the drinking was not compulsory, for so the king had ordered all the officers of his household that they should do according to each man's pleasure. Queen Vashti was also made a feast for the women in the royal palace, which belonged to King Ahasuerus. On the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, he commanded Mahuman, Bistha, Harbona, Bigtha, Abathaka, Zithar, and Carcass. If you think I'm struggling with it, you go home and practice. Seven enochs who served in the presence of King Ahasuerus to bring Queen Vashti before the king wearing her royal crown in order to show her beauty to the people and the officials, for she was beautiful to behold. But Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command brought by his eunuchs. Therefore the king was furious and his anger burned within him. Then the king said to the wise men who understood the times, for this was the king's manner toward all who knew law and justice, those closest to him being Karshina, Shethar, Admetha, Tarmish, Marys, Marcina, and Memekin, the seven princes of Persia and Meda, who had access to the king's presence and who ranked highest in the kingdom. What shall we do to Queen Vashti according to the law because she did not obey the king brought to her by the eunuchs? And Memekin answered before the king and princes, Queen Vashti has not only wronged the king, but also the princes and all the people who are in all the provinces, king of Hazareth. For the queen's behavior will become known to all women, so they will despise their husbands in their eyes when they report. King Ahasuerus commanded Queen Vashti to be brought in before him, but she did come. This very day, the noble ladies of Persia and Medea will say to all the king's officials that they have heard of the behavior of the queen. Thus there will be excessive contempt and wrath. If it pleases the king, 
Let a royal decree go out from him, and let it be recorded in the laws of the Persians and the Medes, so that it will not be altered, that Vashti shall come no more before King Hazarus, and let the king give her royal position to another who is better than she. When the king's decree which he will make is proclaimed throughout all his empire, for it is great, all wives will honor their husbands, great and small. And the reply pleased the king and the princes, and the king did according to the word of Mimikin. Then he sent letters to all the king's provinces, to each province in his own script, and to every people in their own language, that each man should be master in his own house and speak in the language of his own people. Let's pray. God, thank you today for this time of worship together. I pray you speak through your word. God, it's, it's more than important. It's vital. And Lord, I pray that you would bind any force that would keep me from being able to share this and that would keep you from, from planning uh, this in the hearts and, of those who would listen. I pray that you'd bind those forces. And God, I pray your Holy Spirit would seal this word, your word, in the hearts of those that would listen. We love you. Thank you so much for those you let come today. Lord, please speak to our hearts at this time. In Jesus' name, we pray it. Amen. One of the most interesting things about the book of Esther is the lack of specific reference to God. If you read the book of Esther, you might be a little shocked, but God is not specifically mentioned in this book. As we look at this, we, there's a lot of people and a lot of scholars who even question whether this book should probably even be in the canon of Scripture. But God, through His purpose, His timing, and by putting everything together the way that He should, He wanted it in the Bible. He wanted it there for you to hear, for me to hear, for us to read. And so it is part of what He's given to us as His Word. And as we look at it, 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 it it's a little bit of a, of a, a mystery, a little bit of a... a one of those things that we try to figure out, what are we supposed to get out of it? Have you ever went through something in life, a, a test or something, and you just kind of have to say to the Lord, well, God, what am I supposed to get out of this? I mean, you have. I mean, there are things that we deal with in our life sometimes that look so like, much like a lesson that we understand we're supposed to learn something from it. But sometimes things happen to us, and we're just at a loss to figure out why we went through that at all. God gives us the Scripture for a reason, even though there's no deep explanation of doctrine, there's no great revelation in this particular book of prophecy, yet in this 10 chapter, uh, 167 verses, I believe, in that book, it shares volumes about the character, the sovereignty of who God is. All about His character all about His sovereignty, and all about His purpose, even though it's not specifically mentioned about God, He's all in the book. Now isn't it, that, that to me doesn't show anything that causes me to question God. It makes me want to know more about Him because God can let me know about Him without Him even being mentioned. Scripture teaches that we can know about God just by the very existence of nature. And we don't have to have people walking around yelling Jesus, Jesus, Jesus all day long to, because whether we yell it or not, whether we believe it or not, God exists. Jesus came to die for us and rose again, whether you believe it or not. And whether or not somebody is constantly reminding us or not, church, it's still true today. And so as we look at this, in this book, the, the events of Esther happen uh, somewhere between the first and the second return of the exiles 
back to Israel. And, and that may not make a whole lot of sense to you, but let me put it to you this way, since we talked about Nehemiah not too long ago. It, it, it happened probably about a hundred years or somewhere in that range before the events of Nehemiah took place. So that gives you a little bit of a range and a time frame to know what we're talking about. Well, here's the story in a nutshell. I know that was a lot of Scripture today, so let me just really kind of break it down for, for me and for Tommy. Amen. During a six-month period, King Ahasuerus, also known as Xerxes, hosted all the officials in his empire. His goal was to demonstrate to, to them and to everybody who would be able to see it his power and his authority over all. Now, you might not completely understand that, but there are certain days that we as a nation demonstrate who we are. Certain days when we, we put the flag out. And certain days that we demonstrate our patriotism. In other countries, you might see these parades of, of tanks and, and soldiers who march before a platform or before a leader. And all that's done to, to demonstrate who they are, their power, their might, and who they are. And, and, and that is really what the king is doing here to demonstrate that he is the boss. That he's in charge. He's the one with the authority and the power. And at a pivotal moment, at the final feast, because you know they're just like us, they always got to eat. They must, I, I, they're not Baptists, but you know it's, you get the idea. And at a pivotal moment, he calls in the queen because he, she's his crowning piece of property. Now, that's not very popular, but at that time, it's exactly what it was. His prized possession. And he brings the, wants to bring the queen in before the people and show her off because evidently she looked pretty good. And I don't have a description, but I'm just going to assume she was pretty. And at this pivotal moment in the middle of the feast, he calls for her and he's waiting for her to come in. And I don't know if they how they did it, but maybe they had a... A, a roll horn play, dun da da dun da da da, and she walks in, and the horn goes, and no queen. They cue it again, dun da da dun da da da, and no queen. Now I'm going to share with you. I love my wife a lot, and I really do, and she loves me, and and she respects me, and I respect her, but. If I call for her to come in and she's, I'm not going to get bent out of shape because she may be in the middle of something. She may be doing something that I don't know about. So it's not going to just embarrass me. Maybe some of you got it worked out to where they just come. I don't. I, I don't. I, I don't have that worked out. But this is the king we're talking about. This is the king of all of the existing world at that time, or at least the parts that mattered. And he calls for her. She doesn't come. And after the second time, or, or ever how long they took, this was looking embarrassing. You think you get embarrassed. This is the king of all. And she made him look really bad. Not only did she forget to come, but she said, I'm not coming. And this is bad before all the people. 
and for all the officials, it makes them look bad, makes them look small. And so he has to save face. You know, you always get in trouble when you try to save face. Did you know that? When you think you look bad, when you're embarrassed, and then you just start to, well, how am I going to fix this? He tries to seek counsel from his advisors. He, and, and after doing all that, he decides the best thing to do. They tell him the, the best thing to do is to divorce her and get somebody to replace her. Get a new model. And that's what he does. He, he says, we're going to divorce her. She'll never come before us again. And we will now choose a new queen, a new favorite wife. Because remember, he had a bunch of them. I, I just don't think I could handle that in today's society. Could you? It'd be tough, wouldn't it? And so this sets the stage for the rest of the story as we look at it. And there's a lot of things in Esther that, that are good, but I, in this first chapter I struggled a little bit to find the, the principles and things that are most important. So you might be looking at some of this today and think, well, this is basic stuff, but pay attention to it because you need to hear it. The first principle I want to share with you is this. Power and wealth can cause us to have an exaggerated view of who we are. You, me, we're never in control. Just because we got money, just because we got a position, just because we've got a, a name, just because people know who we are, that does not mean we've arrived. That just means that we're on the spotlight. That just means that people are going to see it when we mess up. Amen? That just means we're on a stage. But that doesn't say that we're in total control because we aren't. This king, Xerxes, had spent six months strutting all of his wealth before all these civil servants, and he was looking good. And at the right moment, he found out real quick that when he came down to it, he didn't even have control of his own household. You ever wonder that? Of course, the Bible teaches that the men should be the head of the household. Amen, men? That's what the Bible teaches. But there's a way to do that right. The Bible doesn't call us to be a dictator. The Bible calls us to be a loving leader in much the way that Jesus is our loving Lord. And we see this. He, he, he didn't even have control of his household. And see, God calls you, He calls me, to live in a way that does not define our worth based on wealth and power. In 1 Timothy 6.11, Paul tells Timothy this, but you, O oh man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. Because see, there's a temptation to go over and give into the things that are in the world. Can you be seduced by money? Yes, you can. Can you be seduced by power in the selling who you are so you can own something, hold something, have a title, be important. If you ever get so big that you think you're everything and all that, go spend a day with some kids in a classroom. Younger the better. Because you'll find out real quick you're not all of that. They have a way of letting us know who we are. And they'll bring you down to size. We've got to be careful because we're never in total control. Here's the second principle. And you need to hear this. It's a little bit practical, but here it is. Being drunk can cause you a lot of trouble. Say amen. Now that's real plain. 
And we might get into arguments in a church about whether or not the Bible says we can drink or can we social drink or can we do that. I'm not going to argue with you today. I'm going to tell you one simple fact of what Scripture says and teaches us. That if you get drunk, you're subject for a lot of trouble. Now, you can, we can debate the other stuff later. But the Bible tells us that drunkenness is a sin. And that we should stay away from that. We see what it got this king into. Being drunk can cause you a lot of trouble. It causes you to exercise poor judgment and make foolish decisions. You ever heard of the phrase, ten foot tall and bulletproof? That's what we get. We think we got it worked out. I've had people actually tell me that they drive better under the influence. I'm not going around them. I'm not. Because you think you're more than what you are. You think you can handle all these situations. I can share stories with you of, of actual situations in my life that we've actually dealt with people who, and you probably have too, that had collisions and wrecks on the side of the road and thought they were... I, I, we stopped one time. Because when you're married to a doctor, you're supposed to ever so often be able to render aid. I won't give details. And no, it wasn't related to anybody in this room. But we stopped one time and there was a fella that flipped his truck over this way. It was sideways. And we were worried about him. Be careful over there. We were worried about him. And we got out and tried to help him. He was fine. Boy, he was talking loud. ready. To, I mean, he was ready to go. He said, I'll be alright. I just got to push my truck, truck back over. And he commenced to trying to push his truck. I said, buddy, you ain't pushing that truck over. Yeah, I am. Why did I bring that story up in a church? For you to know something. That gives you a false understanding of who you are. You can let things get involved in you that you think you're way more than you are. I want to tell you something. Apart from Jesus Christ, you are nothing. You're nothing. I'm nothing. And we cannot allow something like this, being drunk, to cause us to exercise poor judgment and to make bad, foolish decisions. And that's what the king allowed to happen. You lose your ability to, to use good judgment and, and you start doing things and saying things that you never would if you're sober. You're, you're writing checks that you'll never be able to catch. You've got to be careful. And as a believer, you'll totally lose your credibility before the saved and the lost. See, here's the funny thing I've learned the older I've gotten. Lost people who don't even claim to be saved and don't know anything about church sometimes know more how you're supposed to live than you do. Now a lot of times they're just giving you an opinion. But a lot of times it's true. And you ruin that witness and testimony before lost people and saved people. Proverbs 20 uh, verse 1 says it this way, Wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler. And whoever is led astray by it is not wise. Does the Bible have something to say about being drunk? Amen. Xerxes would have not acted on impulse had he not been drunk, and he would not have felt the need to save face if he had never called his wife in on a drunken whim. Because at the moment at that banquet when everything was just right, he was feeling just good, that's what happened, and that's why he did it. Here's the third principle I want to share you will usually regret decisions made in the heat of the moment. You ever been there? 
The right thing to do is to seek godly counsel. Xerxes acted based on how he thought people saw him. And he didn't think much about the consequences. He was drunk. He was put on the spot. And he sought advice from people who were giving their own opinions and not seeking God. See, you're supposed to look for advice. You're supposed to seek a counsel from people. But here's our issue sometimes. Who are you asking advice from? We, we ask advice and try to get uh, help and, and assistance and opinions from every source in the world except God. We'll, we'll go to, to help. We'll call helplines. We'll call psychics. We'll watch Oprah. We'll, we'll do everything in the world to try to figure out what we're supposed to do. And everyone, every part of that's going to lead us astray. Only counsel that we need that will get us through and take us where we're supposed to be is the counsel of the Lord. And you get that through His Word. And yet these guys told Him what to do and didn't even seek what they were supposed to do. One of my favorite psalms, and I know I'm running short on time, but one of my favorite psalms is Psalm 1.1. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Did you see the progression in that Scripture? It always amazes me. Look at it. Blessed is a man who walks, nor stands, nor sits. I've always seen in my mind the picture of the person who walks past sin. And he's walking a past sin, which we'll say is right there. And as he's walking a past, the way that you need to as a believer is to keep on walking. And if it's really tempting, you need to run. But if we're not careful, instead of just walking past the sin, we'll stay in for a while. And then we begin to look at it. And before we know it, we've pulled up a recliner. And we're right there in it. And we've got to be careful about that. Because we're prone to do it apart from God the counsel. You're going to regret decisions you make in the heat of the moment. And the thing you're called to do is to seek God's counsel in what you do. As they prepare to come for the invitation today, I want to mention just a couple things to you. That, that God wants you to make wise choices based on a careful walk with Him and your relationship with Him. We were talking about a little in class. I think Robbie was bringing it out. And I miss Robbie being in that Sunday school class. I really do. Because I still think of it as yours. But we, we want to know about God. We want to know what He wants from us. But the only way we'll get that is if we commit to go deeper with Him. What I know about God today, I hope, is more than what I knew about God yesterday and when I first got saved. I don't know everything I need to know today. But by God's grace, tomorrow, I'll have a little bit more figured out through His help. But if I don't commit to the walk, if I don't commit to the relationship, if, if, if I don't allow Him to, to, to work with me and to put me in that position to know, then I'm going to be just as shallow today as I was when I first got saved. 
That's a fact of life. That's just the way it is. And if that hurts your feelings, I still love you, but that's the truth. And so we've got to be careful. God wants us to make wise choices based on a walk and relationship with Him. I learn more about Him the more I spend time with Him. Some of you I know pretty well, and the way I've gotten to know you is because I've spent time with you. I may not know others as well, but if I get a chance to spend time with you, I'll know you better. I'll know the good side, I'll know the bad side. The good thing about God is He has no bad side. God wants us to make wise choices based on our walk and relationship with Him. And I just ask you today, what decisions are you dealing with this morning? I just have to believe that in a crowd of this many people, there had to be people who are trying to make decisions in their life. It may be about a job, it may be about a family, it may be about your relationship with the Lord, it might be a church decision. I have no idea. But you may be dealing with what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to do it? I really want to do what God wants me to. Do you think that most people who are Christians, if they were honest, would want to do what God really wants them to? I think most Christians who truly believe would. But sometimes there's a disconnect and we really don't know how to do that. If you're struggling with a decision today, God wants to help you. And I guarantee you, He's got a word for you and an answer in His Scripture. He does. And you may, you may have to seek it. It may take a while to find it, but it's there. And God wants you to do that. I tell you today and, and ask you and share with you that you need to let God lead you in the right path. And I'll ask you to stand. I'm going to pray, and if you have a reason or a need to come to the front, you can do that. I'll pray with you. You can pray alone, but if you're at your pew, I encourage you to pray there as well. And don't let this time just be a time of closing. But if God wants to speak to you, let Him. Father, thank You today for loving us, and I pray You speak at this time. In Jesus' name, Amen.